Excellent. So here we are in the second week of Advent. Um, it's, it's exciting. I hope you're excited. Uh, and as we come into Advent um, this year, let me just, you know, we use this word, um, maybe we do or don't know what it means, but Advent, uh, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, or the Greek parousia, and it means coming or arrival. It's the idea that the Advent season is focused on the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, Christ, our King. You know, often at Christmas, we, uh, I don't know about you, if you've got family that come to you at Christmas, do you get excited about the arrival of visitors at Christmas? We do things to prepare. Our spare bedroom has to be organized in order to prepare. Not only that, when we have, so my daughters are away at university, they come back, they occupy the spare bedroom, but then my mother-in-law will come, and so we have to rearrange things then, and then my parents might come as well, and, and everybody else is still there, and we have to squeeze everybody in, and, and we were having a conversation yesterday about, okay, where, who sleeps where? Where do we move the people to, and who's sleeping on the sofas, and, and all of that stuff. And we have to make arrangements. I'm safe. We're on the top floor. Nobody else is sharing my bedroom. Thank you very much. That's absolutely fine. But we have to prepare. We are excited about coming. And all the Christian worship and, and our Bible readings and our prayers not only sp prepare us spiritually for Christmas and his first coming, but they're there to also represent the coming of Jesus again. Not as a baby, but as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, coming to reign and his second coming. And so Advent is a time when we look back on his first coming, but Advent is a time when we look forward to the coming kingdom as well. And through all of this, the invitation to us is not just looking to Jesus and his coming, but the invitation is there for us to come, to come and experience the joy and expectation and complexity surrounding the coming of the Messiah. You see, the King of Kings came as a baby. The one in whom all things were created, the one in whom all things are held, came as a baby in human form. Now, if that doesn't baffle our finite minds, I don't know what will but there's complexity around Advent and us understanding the, the vastness of what God did in order to come down and to meet with us. That we ponder the mystery. It's a time for us to rejoice. It's a time for us to, to give. It's a time for us to celebrate. But it's also uh, a time, an invitation for us to come and reflect. And in the midst of all the Advent clutter, the noise, the anxiety of all the, the cultural stuff that's going on around us, it's an invitation for us to shift and prepare our souls, our hearts, our spirits for celebrating the coming of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And so it's great that we can get involved in all the busyness. It's great that we can do all the celebration. It's fantastic that we, uh, and, uh, and as you look through uh, how God interacted with the Israel's, uh, Israelites, God loves celebrations. God is not against us celebrating and having parties. But within the midst of that, let's be careful that we ensure that we understand the invitation to come to meet Jesus. 
So let's look this morning at some words, the story, familiar story from Luke chapter 2. We're going to read right from the beginning down to, I think it's about verse 20 this morning. Familiar words, but again, let's incline our ear to hear what God is saying. Don't let the words just wash over you because they're familiar, but allow the words to speak to you. Incline your ear to hear what God is saying. It says this, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her, to be, for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So as James said earlier, this, this week our theme is peace. And for most of us, as I've already really shared, Advent is not necessarily a season of peace. Not peace as we understand it in our English understanding of peace. It's often busy. It's often stressful. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. As I say, we, we celebrate and, and that, in, or that means planning and organizing uh, uh, and catching up with people and visiting and friendships and family. And they're all really important things. And again, the first Advent wasn't particularly a peaceful time. It started with an angel, uh, angel visitation. It had in it aspects of a, a potential divorce. It included lots of detours and journeys that weren't necessarily expected. It ends in a stable of dust and straw and, uh, and desperation. When the angel appeared to the shepherds that we've just read in that field in Judea, they had been living under Roman occupation for 60 years. Caesar had gained control of most of the known world from England to India. Every town, every uh, province that he entered, people were commanded to bow before him and declare him to be the king of kings. 
And if you denied Caesar his praise, you were nailed to a piece, to two pieces of wood that, that formed that horrific torture uh, uh, and, and led to slow death, the thing that we call crucifixion. That was how Caesar had set himself up. So when the angels came, when the angels came and declared that a different saviour had been born and that through him everyone everywhere could find peace, it would have rocked their world. It cut across all their political and social and personal norms. It cut across things. It had these implications for those who had experienced the the gospel of Caesar or the, the tyranny of Caesar. And peace cut across this. In this, how, how do we then experience this peace? How does peace fit in at Advent? Sorry, still got mince pie in the back of my throat. <coughs> you know, in, in this modern culture, there's one thing that we all succeed at, and that is being busy. We're not necessarily always productively busy, but we often find ourselves busy. How many times when you've been asked this week, uh, uh, you know, how your week has been, you've replied something like, well, it's been a bit crazy. It's been a bit busy. It's the same with the phrase, I'm just a bit tired. Everyone always seems to be just a bit tired. One of their favorite phrases in the school that I work in is, it's nearly Friday. We just need a bit of rest. But we are so good at filling ourselves up with stuff and we are so busy. And at this time of year, obviously, there's no uh, expectation. There's no, there's, there's no exception, sorry. And on a broader level, we know that the world has its dark realities. We know the existence of war, of famine, of poverty. We see hopelessness. We see helplessness. We've heard people say perhaps they just can't watch the news anymore, that compassion fatigue is something that's real and is present. We're tired. And into that is perfectly natural to yearn for the chaos of life to to cease and to give way to rest, for peace to come. But that's, I believe, not really the peace that comes at Christmas. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. If we just think that we're just going to, that actually when it, it says glory to God in the highest and peace, that we just be able to put our feet up with a nice cup of coffee, something a bit stronger if that's what works for you, and we can just rest. But that's not truly biblical peace. You see, the way I read my Bible, I see that peace is hardworking. If peace were a person, I think that uh, maybe our modern concept of, of, concept of them would be a smiling, a praying person, perhaps a monk, and they, they just go around serenely and nothing really impacts them and they can just walk through this world and, uh, and, and everything is lovely. They're untouched by the worries of the world. But I believe that biblical peace, if they were a person, they would be incredibly hard working. 
they would constantly be trying to bring people together, to talk to us, to, to talk uh, that we can see past our stubborn pride and our stubbornness just to hold on to our own way of thinking. And instead, that, uh, that peace would be working hard to bring us together. That peace would not be about escaping the worries of this world. Instead, peace would be diving right into them. Because the, the, the peace of the Bible, this word shalom, and I'll talk about this a bit more. James mentioned it earlier. While the peace of the Bible, while, while it can be a, a state of calm, it's something much bigger than that. It's about passionate peace, passionate goodness. If you to look back, it's... Um, in Genesis, Genesis 1 and the, and the way that the creation is described there. And, and our common dis- translations describe it once, G- once God has finished speaking and creating the world. He says that it is very good. And it doesn't use the word shalom in that context. But, but, our, but we can see that what God is talking about, what he's seeing is that it was very good. It is fervently, abundantly good. It is passionately good. That God is pleased with what he has created. And this word shalom that, that James used earlier, this, this is, it's a vivid picture of peace. And as we look back, we can see at the end of the the story of creation that what God had created was shalom, was peace, was wholeness, was perfection. This word shalom occurs over 250 times in the Old Testament. And I know in English we tend to think of peace as just something that might mean a lack of war or a lack of conflict. And while the biblical concept of shalom certainly encompasses this part of peace, it's not the whole part of it. It's wholeness. It's well-being. Shalom is the ideal for our individual lives and for that of God's creation at large to return to God's original creation before it was marred by humanity's sin. Throughout the Old Testament, God unfolds this plan for for re-establishing his shalom here on earth. Through the line of Abraham, God tells his people that they they will bless all of humanity. He made a covenant of peace with them and promised to restore all things by sending a savior. This promised Messiah would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. In Micah chapter 5, we read that he himself, the Messiah, would be our peace. So when the angels come to those shepherds on that starry night outside Bethlehem, the snow probably wasn't falling, but that's another story. When the angels come and they sing their song to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace They weren't just singing for us to have a nice, comfortable life. They weren't just singing for us to be able to put our feet up and let everybody else do the work. They were singing of the power of God at work to bring about transformation and uprooting of all that the world knows to bring his perfect kingdom to people once again. This is the peace of God at work. A return to the perfection of the Garden of Eden and God's initial creation. Perfect harmony between God and man and that all is well. That is the peace that comes to earth at Advent. 
Because how does it fit for us this season? How is it going to work for us this Advent season? I want to give two, uh, just two hangers to hang this on this morning. Two R's for us to hang God's peace on this morning. Reconciliation and respite. Reconciliation and respite. The peace that is spoken as a gift at the birth of Jesus Christ brings reconciliation and respite. Let's look and see what we can pull out from this of God's reconciliation. Verse 14, as I've already said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, the old King James transfer, James, sorry, I'll start that again. The old King James translation says that this verse 14b, and this is often certainly how I grew up with it, uh, but it's on earth peace, comma, goodwill towards men. And it describes that, you know, on earth there will be peace, and there will also be goodwill to all men. But if you've got a slightly newer version, and most uh, all, uh, pretty much all modern translations agree that actually the way that the, the, uh, the King James was initially uh, translated, it doesn't fully grasp exactly what was intended by the original language. The two most common versions that we might read from, the NIV says, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And the version that I read from, the New Living Translation says, and, on earth, and, and, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Here's the difference. The point is that even though God's offer of peace goes out to all, it is only his chosen people, the people who receive Christ and trust him as Savior and Messiah and Lord. It's only them that will experience the peace that is promised at Christmas, at Advent. God's peace in Christ is offered to the world, but only the children of peace, only those on whom his favor rests will receive it. How do you know if you are a child of peace? How do you know if you're part of the angel's promise? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, the answer is that you have to invite the peacemaker into your life. The answer is that you have to have that relationship with the, with the peacemaker where you have said, I need him to be my Lord and my Savior. That is the implication of this reconciliation, peace with God. The most basic need if we are searching for peace the most basic need that we have is reconciliation with God peace with God it's foundational for all our pursuits of peace if we don't go here first all other experiences of peace that we have will just be temporary you see, when we talked about that Garden of Eden, that perfect peace, we know that shortly after that, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against what God asked them to do. That they took matters into their own hands and did things that they wanted to do rather than things that God had told them to do. And ever since that, all of us have been doing exactly the same thing. We have rebelled. We have gone against what God wants us to do. We have chosen to take things into our own hands. And so we are all in this place where God in his holiness and his perfection, he looks down and there's a barrier to us being in perfect relationship with him. And the Bible talks about the wages. The cost of our rebellion is death. The cost, the payment that has to be paid is death. And not just physical death. 
we're talking spiritual death, and which, uh, which shows itself as a, an eternal absence from the presence of God. And we need to be reconciled in order for that not to be our outcome. That actually we want to be in the presence of God, not just now, but in his kingdom to come. We have to believe this key passage here, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's, that's the pivotal act of believing, having faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified means that, that God declares you to be just, to be right, to be acceptable in his sight by giving to you, ascribing to you the righteousness of Jesus. When we look from the cradle through to the cross and then the empty grave, that is recognizing that Jesus came to, to work for peace, to work for reconciliation in our lives. It's recognizing that God, that Jesus was doing something, that peace was active. Peace was working in order to bring us to a place where we could be right with God. It's an act of faith, an act of believing. We don't get to that place. We don't get to reconcile with God by our works, by our tradition, by baptism, by church membership, by being pious, by our parentage. It is only about our decision to believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you're struggling this morning and thinking, I don't know how, how to find peace. I'm struggling because life just seems to be something going on at the moment and I just cannot find peace. And I want to, I want to ask you this question, are you at peace with God? Because you can search for peace in so many other places, but unless we have peace with God, any foundation, any, any search for peace is going to be uh, ultimately futile. First of all, we need to be right with God. When we believe in Jesus as the Savior and the Lord, he is the supreme treasure of our lives. We are united to him. We are justified, made right by faith, and the result is peace with God. God's anger at us because of our sin is put away. A rebellion against him is overcome. He adopts us into his family, and from now on, all his dealings with us are for our good. He will never be against us. He is our father. He is our friend. We have been reconciled with him. Peace at work. Reconciliation, to bring us into right relationship with Father God. Glory to God in the highest because peace is at work. To uh, Peace has come to work on our behalf. We have peace when we welcome the peacekeeper and become those who God looks down on and is pleased with. Reconciliation. What about respite? As Christians, we know that we have peace with God. We have been reconciled, but Christmas is still busy. There's still so much to do. 
the decorating needs to be done. We need to prepare for the arrival of guests. We may be expected to attend the company Christmas party. And we, we know that our children then have parties to go to, maybe parties at the church, maybe parties at school. We've got plays to organize. Maybe you need to make uh, costumes for your children. Shopping and baking still needs to be done. We wonder every year how we're going to fit it all in. I know some of you are praying you'll make it through Christmas just to make it through. That's all your prayer this year. Not anticipating anything good will come from gathering with extended family and friends. It's become a cliche that right next to the article on what primary school children are excited about for Christmas is the article on the rise of depression through this following month. You know the sadness is real. While you have to prevent your non-verbal 10-year-old from hurting themselves again, or explain yet again the complicated life of your five-year-old who yet has got, uh, yet received a diagnosis. As you watch your nieces and nephews and young friends playing and running and eating and happily talking about the toys they want or the travel they're going to do, the things they're excited about, the things they're doing in school, it's easy to do the, 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 the things that they do easily that your child is never going to do, no matter how many therapies or medications or prayers are offered. While you have to tell your elderly relative once again who you actually are, or patiently have to remind your loved one to keep taking their medication, or you face the whole, that black hole of someone you dearly miss, someone who is missing this season. As your friends talk about the exciting times they will be having with parents and grandparents, or maybe it's the disability in your family member means that you can't gather together in loved ones, and the heartache is almost more than you can stand, and Advent is filled with noise, and it's filled with anxiety, it's filled with clamor, it's filled with stress, and there's so much going on that you have to deal with, and you just can't um, deal with it, and you just need to cry, I just need peace. I just need peace. I need respite. I need peace. And for some of us, that is a very real thing. That white noise that are played in the background, that's going on, and it's not just Christmas. It's all year round for some of us. It's the busyness. It's the stress. The anxiety. And it's some things that sometimes we can deal with and sometimes that we have control on and sometimes they don't. They're just things that are coming at us the whole time. And your prayer, God, I need your peace. I need some respite. God is at work to bring his peace. We might call it inner peace, but so many connotations with Eastern religions with that, but I want to call it internal peace. Something that impacts us on the inside, not just about the surroundings uh, and, and, all, and all the busyness and all that chaos. We still need to find something that's internally peaceful. And that God brings us peace. There's an amazing verse in, in Isaiah. In a song that the people of Judah will sing as they welcome the Messiah into his new kingdom. 
Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says this, You, the Messiah, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Maybe just personalize that verse with your own name in it. God will give me, God will keep me in perfect peace as my mind focuses on him and trusts him. It's a wonderful promise, perfect peace. God promises that we can have perfect peace and even be kept in a place of perfect peace. It's this word shalom again in Hebrew, but it's a term that, is, that we've translated as perfect peace. It is the, it's shalom, shalom. Hebrew is an amazing language where when they really want to emphasize something, they'll use the same word twice. Shalom, shalom. Not just peace, but perfect peace. Not just the absence of, of war, but actually wholeness and perfection. That you are fulfilled in this place of perfect peace. And it's not just about finding it, it's about being kept in this place of perfect peace. This peace promised in the song to the angels is fighting for you to find this perfect peace. There's perfect peace that we will be kept in. How do we find this peace? It says those words here, we find perfect peace when our thoughts are fixed on Jesus. This is the place of perfect peace and the source of perfect peace. If you need some respite this season, if you just need some peace this season, then first of all, absolutely, then let's work on our reconciliation with God. But then let's turn from the things of the world to the peacemaker. The one who brings perfect peace. When we keep our minds fixed, settled upon, established upon Jesus himself, then we can be kept in this perfect peace. It's about fixing our minds. To be kept in perfect peace is a matter for our thoughts. This isn't so much about our spirit or our soul or our heart or emotions. It's a matter of the mind. We are to love the Lord our God with all our mind. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We can have the mind of Christ. We are not to set our mind on earthly things, but are to set our mind on things above. The Christian life is not an unthinking life of just doing or experiencing or feeling. It's also about thinking and where we set our mind is essential on our walking with God. It doesn't mean that all our circumstances change, but it does change what we think about our circumstances. Looking up this word that is described as kind of fixing in a, in a Bible dictionary, you'll come up with a whole host of, of kind of words that try to grasp what this really means. It comes from the word. The word, if you're into Hebrew, is sormak. It comes from the root to prop. And it has the idea to, to lean upon or take hold of, to establish, to uphold, to rest and set, to, to stand fast, to stay, to sustain. It has these 
the, these concepts, we fix our eyes and, and, and we can understand it. It's the same word in other places in the Bible that is, that is translated as sustained. Or it's used when the priests put their hands on the head of a sacrificial animal. Or of the laying on of hands, of being upheld, to stand fast upon, of being established, of leaning upon. So understanding that when it's talking about uh, that we fix our minds, we are resting and sustaining ourselves on Jesus Christ. It's fair to ask us as disciples of Jesus Christ, what sustains your mind? What do you lay your mind upon? What upholds your mind? What does your thinking stand fast upon? What is your mind established upon? What does your mind lean upon? To have this perfect peace, your mind cannot occasionally come to and lean upon the Lord. It has to be stayed upon him. If you're searching for peace, and your connection with God is just perhaps on a Sunday morning, I'll come and I'll turn up and see how that is. But through the rest of the week, you're relying on yourself or others. You're not going to find perfect peace. When we look at our circumstances and maybe we're looking at relationships that we're struggling with, maybe we're looking at situations in our finances that we're struggling with, maybe we're looking at family, uh, and, and as I was going through that list, obviously there was you know, people whether we are struggling with because of their age or because of uh, our relationship with them. Maybe it's family situations where there are disabilities and other things that actually just cause us to, uh, to, to cry out, God, I don't know when this is ever going to end. Those situations, I'm not promising that those situations are going to change. But I am saying this to you. As we turn our eyes from this situation up to heaven, and when we turn and say, God, I want my mind to be fixed on you and all your promises, come and change my heart and bring me your peace. Change my perspective and bring me your peace. In the midst of all the busyness of Christmas, of all the stress of family and relationships, God, I don't want to be looking at the problems. I don't want to be looking at the difficulties. I want to be looking at you. I want to be seeing you. The invitation of Advent to come and find the peace of God. You know, Satan loves to get in our minds and set our minds on anything except him. Our minds are so often under assault, whether it's guilt or worries or threats, confusions, uncertainties. They all threaten our peace. A verse in Philippians 4, I preached on this a few weeks ago, talking about bringing our, our thoughts. Don't be anxious about anything. But verse 7 of Philippians 4 says, His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That actually as we set our hearts on him, God keeps us in perfect peace. He guards our hearts. He guards our minds. And it talks about the fact that in that, in that verse in Philippians 4, it talks about that, that it's a peace beyond that which we can fathom beyond that which we can manage to understand. Let's not try and imagine God's peace to be uh, understandable. 
God's peace is something that he gives us as a gift. And we, don't, we can't try and work it out, but God will bring us peace. Don't limit the peace of God by what your understanding can see. He gives us this inexplicable peace, perfect peace. When we come to him, when we remember if we've been reconciled already, that we are already at peace with him, when we trust him as a loving, heavenly father, that he will help us and his peace will come to us, steadies us, protects us. That we sit in this place of perfect peace. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. Or peace on whom he is pleased with. Maybe some this morning need to take hold of that promise of reconciliation. recognizing you're not right with God. Something needs to change. You're searching for peace and you, this morning you just have that sense in your spirit. I believe it will be the Holy Spirit just prompting in you that just says, you need to be right with me. You need to be reconciled. I'm working for your peace. Maybe others of you this morning, you know, as, as we were playing that sound and then, and then that sound stopped and you're, you know for you that actually right now it's that stopping of the noise. And you need respite. And what we take from this this morning is, God, help me to turn my eyes on you. Help me to fix my mind on you. So maybe you could all just this morning, just close your eyes and just take a moment to reflect that invitation to set our hearts on Emmanuel, God with us. not going to pray publicly for reconciliation but if you know this morning that you need to be right with God then you need to make that decision today you need to make that change today come and speak to myself you can come and speak to James and let's make that happen reconciliation the beginning of true peace If you need peace from God, just to bring some quiet to the noise, some respite. Just in your hearts right now. Again, you need to make this decision. It's not, I I will pray in a moment, but this isn't for me just to pray. This is you saying, God, I need to fix my mind on you. That is my response this morning. Fix my mind on you. Father God, I thank you that 
through your word. Peace is at work this morning. Father God, I thank you. There were those here who know they need to be reconciled to you, made right with you. And that, Father God, you'll convict them of making that decision, that change, that movement this morning, that they can be right with you. And for others who just need some respite, Father God, they need peace because of everything that's going around, Father, of going on and everything they're juggling. Father God, I pray that you'll bring your perfect peace to them. As, may have that, as they have made that commitment to fix their eyes on you, Father God, I pray again, thank you that your spirit, the comforter, is working for us, with us. That you'll prompt them to know where changes need to happen in thought processes, in habits, in actions. That you'll bring them to a place of perfect peace. And keep them in that place of perfect peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.